Earth as a singular planet. In fact, it is anything but. For this is a story not of a universe, but a multiverse. Where universes and planets, such as Earth, were replicated and mirrored across a vibrating, infinite plane. Some barely different from the next. Others drastically so. This is DC On Screen. Every week, Dave and Jason talk about the multiverse of DC properties on film and television. But be warned, if it's been officially released, you can expect they'll spoil it. Welcome into DC On Screen, episode 494. I am your host, David C. Robertson. This is my co-host, Jason Goss. Hello. And we got kind of, well, I mean, it's kind of a big week. Kind of a small week. I guess it's a medium week. Medium week, a whelming week. <laughs> Before we jump into everything, uh, if you do want to go hang out with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash DC on screen podcast. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, 205-259-6331. We do have an iTunes review this week. It comes from Salvatore Chief, one of our buddies on Twitter, uh, a listener, wonderful person. Mm-hmm. says, uh... One of the best DC podcasts out there. A must-listen for me every time an episode drops. Solid DC news that doesn't fall for pointless clickbait. Dave and Jason give excellent commentaries with a positive vibe, but are not afraid to call WB out when it has missed a step. The greatest strength of this podcast would have to be the host. Dave and Jason are fantastic. They are truly the world's finest, also the funniest pod you'll ever find. I highly recommend this podcast. Hit subscribe. Seriously, hit subscribe. We all, <laughs> that's a super nice thing to say, man. That, that really is. That, that part of it, world's finest. So, uh, damn, man. Thank you. That's good stuff. Like, and we, we can retire now. And what he just did there really helps us out. So if you want to go give us a, a positive uh, rating and review over on iTunes, it is much more than welcome. Um, it really does help us out. Let's, uh, let's pop on over to the news here. We're going to start off in the in the movie section, as we always do. And there seems to be a lot of hubbub about The Joker, the uh, supposed Martin Scorsese-produced Todd Phillips film that's going to be focusing on The Joker's origins. And it, it, I have no doubt that this thing is in development. But um, a bunch of different people have come out with a lot of different information. It's all rumored. Nothing has been officially announced. No matter what headlines you see, I have saw some headline earlier this week that said... Um, that Joaquin Phoenix is officially on board. No, he's not. He's in talks. Like as far as we know, yeah. he is in talks. So according to the Omega Underground, the film is going to be set in the eighties and it could start filming in September. And they're saying it's probably going to be shooting in New York city. Um, that makes it a pretty good possibility. I think that they'll say something they'll, they'll announce at uh, San Diego comic-con. If September is the real goal, then yeah, that you, there's no reason you keep that under your belt. Mm-hmm. And they're also reporting that... Um, Vice versa, if I don't hear it, then I'm pretty dubious about September. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're they're saying that they're, they're expecting the story to be uh, taken from the killing joke a little bit. Just elements of it. And that... Yeah, um, everyone says that. There's going mean, to... Well, sure. Ha- you have to. But, the, you know, they're bringing up King of Comedy, the uh, Scorsese... Uh, Robert De Niro movie mm. where, you know, comedian keeps failing and turns to a life of crime. Um, now that hashtag show mm-hmm. and remember hashtag show 
These are the people who were actually arguing with David Sandberg about what the character sheets were for his own friggin' film. So, you know, grain of salt, people. Yeah. Are reporting that the working title for the Joker movie is Romeo, and that they have some exclusive character details, more character descriptions, for uh, what they are saying, definitively saying, calling the Walking uh, Phoenix Joker film. So these are interesting. These are some interesting character breakdowns, and uh, they might be right. Um, there's a character named Penny here uh, that's going to be a supporting female, 60 to 74, Caucasian, lower class, very attractive in her younger days, still feels that way about herself. But recently, her health has started failing, and she's nearly bedridden in her Lower East Side apartment, which she shares with her grown son, who just moved back home. She's obsessed with her former employer and can't believe this is what her life has come to, that she has ended up like this. This looks like uh, Joker's mother, maybe. And Oh, uh, yeah. And feels like former employer might be his chemical. Yeah. And they're saying that, you know, she uh, will have struggled with mental illness and they'll be looking for a younger actress in her late twenties to play an earlier version of her. Um, I would see, I was thinking you're saying ice chemicals. I was just thinking, uh, something in show business. You know what I mean? Not sure. Yeah. I can say it too. Uh, they also have a character named Sophie Dumond, uh, supporting female 27 to 34 to play an African American or Latina, not beautiful, has a hardness to her, a single mother living on the Lower East Side, doing the best she can trying to make ends meet, worn out by the grind of the city. She understands how the system is stacked against her and the people in her community, how unjust it is for all of them. Uh, she's just trying to catch a break. Uh, they're saying that it could be a potential love interest for his Joker, um, for Phoenix's Joker, or a potential partner in crime. She also has a four-year-old daughter, Gigi, who will have a small role in the film. There's a character named uh, Murray Franklin, male 65 to 75 Caucasian while no further description was given about the character they believe that they're going to be bringing in Robert De Niro or trying to get Robert De Niro for the part uh, there's a character named Randall a supporting male 40 to 59 Caucasian thinks he is the wisest and most knowledgeable person in any room he's in tries to present himself as a mentor to everyone but he's really just looking out for himself he's burly uh, there's Gary a supporting male 30 to 49 any ethnicity to play a dwarf Randall's best friend. He's good-natured and a buddy to his colleagues at work. One of the only decent people in the whole movie. There's Hoyt Vaughn, supporting male, 50 to 69, any ethnicity. The old-school manager of hotel staff. He's seen it all and finds it difficult to give a shit about much of anything. Uh, Detective Garrity, supporting male, 50 to 59, any ethnicity. Police detective in a city on the brink. A by-the-book cop, worn down by all of his years on the force. He doesn't care about or take into consideration any of the societal or political ramifications of his cases. Uh, and Detective Burke, a supporting male, 30 to 39, any ethnicity. A police detective and Garrity's partner, he's an asshole who gets off by being in a position of authority. Being a cop is how he defines himself. This is a very eclectic and, and interesting set of descriptions because nothing really feels like anything from confusing. canon at all. You think it's confusing? Yeah. I mean, not by themselves. Just when you try to paint the picture of all those characters in your mind, I don't, I don't know what that would lead to. I mean, I it it feels like something Scorsese would do. I, that's what it feels like to me. Like, you know, eighties eighties New York crime scene slash show business type stuff. Yeah, like seedy underbelly. I don't, of show I don't business. disagree with that. I'm just, I'm coming at it from so much of the DC mythos that I, I can't quite see it from that angle mm-hmm. and make it make sense. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense. It's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? That's that's an odd setup he's got going on. Again, and, and so all this might just be 
fluff in the wind. Who knows? Could be. Um, but, you know, Mark Hughes has said, uh, that's the guy over at Forbes, uh, writes a lot of DC-based editorials. He's saying that the studio was bullish on this Joker film. Um, Hughes said that no one has said as as much explicitly, uh, but that he believed the recently announced Jared Leto film would never happen, and that the current version of the villain would only be in the Suicide Squad sequel or the tie-in film, if at all. He says, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is playing the Joker in a standalone film that will possibly wind up not being standalone as the situation evolves with the solo Batman movies and as the future of the DCU shakes up. He says he's heard whispers from several people, and if the movie is a success, the studio is considering folding it into the continuity of the Batman in order to avoid having to find another Joker for the rebooted Batman franchise. He says it appears yeah. it appears as though the films were not necessarily developed that way, but that as Warner Brothers has started charting a course for their DC films going forward, the notion of tying their two Gotham-based prequels together seemed like an obvious leap to make. And Hughes stressed this as well. This is not a done deal, or even necessarily the prevailing philosophy at Warner Brothers yet. Things are very much in the, up, in the, up in the air given the multiple changes to DC Slate, the AT&T Time Warner merger, the looming releases of Aquaman and Shazam, Two movies which will have significantly less baggage than BVS or Justice League. So, I mean, all of this up in the air, but it kind of is looking like they might just... You think they're just creating another universe? Just... (laughs) No. God, no. Look, the... Forbes is questionable. I mean, highly questionable as a source in general. Mm, That hashtag show is... Actually has gotten some stuff right on their casting sheets for TV. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, surprisingly, been pretty accurate about that. But for movie stuff has been, like, like as you said, like, yeah. actively wrong on several, several occasions. I, these, these are... I think Hughes has a much better track record than those people. But it all seems to be, they all Maybe. seem to be kind of going along with the same track But here. it's all still whispers. And I get how, like, he's got a good narrative. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's not like anything he's saying is explicitly, it, like, it, it could be right. Mm-hmm. It could. But come on, man. We're not... It's... I need some real news. I mean, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's all rumor. Even he, even Hughes says it's all rumor. It's not a done deal. He's just hearing stuff. Like, he just, he not only says that he's just hearing stuff, he also says, and they could change their mind. Like, giving himself sure. another out on it. Well, hell, they... Which doesn't make me feel extremely comfortable about the reporting. They had a whole damn movie shot with Justice League and they changed their mind. I know. There's no way anyone That's... can be, like, 100% accurate on any of this stuff at this point. I mean... As it's actually happening, yes. Before it happens, no. <laughs> so before it happens, oh, it's neat speculation, but come on. So uh, over on uh, Twitter, Girls Chat Comics uh, tweeted over to uh, Chris McKay, the director for the Nightwing movie, and said, uh, Rewatching BVS and all it's doing is making me want a Nightwing film and a decent Robin or two on screen. Maybe a Red Hood thrown in for good measure. Any Grayson news for us? Chris McKay says, no new news. I'm excited by everything Walter Hamada is doing at WB and DC, and as both a fan and a filmmaker, I can't wait to see what Matt Reeves is creating in Gotham City. If you love DC or movies, uh, superheroes in general, this is a great time to be alive. Patience is a good thing. And that's interesting, the things that he doesn't say. like There there are no new news, though, or there is no new news, but he's... I don't know what to take from this. Like, is, Do you think they're just like holding off on the, on the Nightwing movie to see what happens in the DCEU? Or not? No, not necessarily. The more and more I hear about it, uh, Hamada and Emmerich have a plan. Mm-hmm. Like there's 
there's a plan apparently. Yeah. And there there have been, according to some reports, some debriefings and some talks, and I don't know. It it's it is a little bit in flux as far as uh, like I, I think they are reshaping things to some extent. Mm-hmm. But that like no new news on his front isn't uh, not it's not problematic for me. I if anything I think a lot of these movies have been kind of put on a you know yeah keep it on the DL kind of thing. I mean. Come on, we all know it's suspicious that Aquaman hasn't released a trailer. I know Comic Con is a great place to do it, mm-hmm. but it's been a minute. Like I, one of our phrases at this point is "give him a minute," and it's been one. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, you would see one before that. I, I, I do think they kind of put things on on ice for a minute. Yeah. Not necessarily for good or ill, but I, I do think they iced him. See the the way that Chris McKay says this. Uh... There's no new news. He's excited about everything Hamada's doing, so he's trying to put us at ease, but he's also saying, like, I can't wait to see what Matt Reeves does. I'm just It just makes me wonder if they're saying, hey, let's just hold off on Nightwing and see if we can't tie this in, if it's more successful over on this other line. I would take it a different way. First of all, the phrase no new news bothers me slightly. Yeah. A little, little redundant, but whatever. Uh, also, if he's excited about what <laughs> Matt Reeves is doing, maybe he's just... Excited as a fan. Involved in what Matt Reeves is doing. Like, maybe that's the angle. Doesn't necessarily have to be he's on the bench waiting to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. It could also be that this is a team effort. Hmm. And maybe that does mean that Matt Reeves kind of is the first one with the floor, and we got to see where that goes and what decisions get made. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that is kind of how it works. It's not like the two directors get to get together and collude against the studio or something. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess it could be done, but I don't know if I've ever heard of it. Yeah. It'd be more, hey, your movie's going to come after this. This is what we're thinking. Maybe let's get all in the same room for a second, and then we're going to see what he's doing, and then you can kind of start developing from there. Like yeah. That would make sense to me. Yeah, it would make sense to me, too. I am interested to see where they where they go with this in general. Like, this is some weird stuff. Nothing feels too far. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not nothing, but so many suggestions that, they, that people are, are putting out there seem like, you know what, that could be a thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to... And I do think it's... It's hard to keep track of what just sounds like a good idea and what might actually be true sometimes. And I do think that, like, Aquaman and Shazam, man, if they don't do well, that's probably going to really decide it. In what sense, though? Well, I, like, if Aquaman and Shazam... Who cares? Well, critically, people do care, and people do... Mainstream people do react to negative reviews. And I think if this, like, I think if Aquaman, and, you know, I don't, I'm not a business insider or anything, but I think if Aquaman gets negative critical reviews, even if it gets, like, really positive audience reviews and makes a ton of money, it's going to hurt the DCEU brand in as much as they've never given it a a DCEU title. But it's going to hurt that universe, and I I feel like they're going to be more inclined to push towards something else, that being the DC Dark or whatever. Uh, same way if Shazam doesn't do well, I mean, who knows what they're going to do with Shazam if Aquaman doesn't do well. I, I don't know. Like, I guess shooting is done. I don't know if they'll need reshoots. I don't know. Again, I don't know what Hamada's doing. I don't know if he is quite as a reactionary as a lot of other, uh, people have been at Warner Brothers. They're, um, to me, those are two different movies. I don't think those are going to be dependent on each other. I'm I'm saying they're both dependent on the few or the DCEU is dependent on their success. As a pair, I can kind of get behind what you're saying, but uh, maybe like Shazam getting reshoots because of Aquaman. I feel like they went for different things. Mm-hmm. That really feels very ap- apples and oranges to me. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think if Aquaman's it just it seems like Aquaman is kind of going to be like 
I know we've been told it's going to have some fun with itself and, and not just be a, you know, a two hours worth of a slugfest and heavy commentary. And, mm-hmm. and all, like, I get that we're not doing like gladiator or something, but we're like Shazam feels wildly different, especially when all the stuff we've been talking about with, you know, I'm aware of that. Like their social media killing it. I just can't see one affecting the other in that way, but both of them together, if they both kind of did badly and by did badly, I mean, I know in theaters that justice league didn't hit the marks it was supposed to. And mm-hmm. it was, it was down from where it should have been. I get, I get the trending part. And yes, if we hit Aquaman and it trends even lower and then we hit Shazam and it trends even lower to the point where we're not even sure that that weekend you're going to win. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta do something. You just gotta mm-hmm. like at any point, if one of these movies doesn't win the weekend it's in, I'll, I'll tap out as far as saying that this, this isn't a broken system. But for now, it's made a lot of money, mm-hmm. and the audience reviews are way higher than the critic reviews. And honestly, like when you look at say the difference between TV and movies, TV's measured by critic reviews. It's it's measured by Nielsen ratings for the most part, and it's starting to find ways to measure itself by streaming services, which are still the same thing. It's very connected to the people, mm-hmm. and I think secretly the movie people are into that way more than it would seem. They are, I think, but there I've had so many interactions with people who don't keep up with like we do, and. They didn't go see Justice League because they heard it sucked. Like the critics said, it sucked, so they didn't go. You know, like that, it matters. It does. I hate to say I it does, but it does. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I know there's a percentage. And these are people who came to me afterward and said, "Oh man, I checked it out on your recommendation. It was. I don't understand what the problem was. I don't either." Like I, that's one of the things, though, is like critic reviews can seriously hurt your box office. Mm-hmm. And also, like God, Justice League positioned itself so poorly in box office. Right? It was. It just could have done itself some favors, but like in the weekend where it aired. But anyway, um, it can actually affect that. Sure, like because it costs so much at this point to actually go sit down and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And if you're a, if you're a casual viewer, you can wait. You're not you're you're looking at if if you have a family of four. Honestly, it might cost you upwards of seventy five dollars to watch a movie, and that's a very conservative estimate for you know getting some snacks, getting all the tickets. Could be over a hundred dollars to go watch a movie easily. Whereas if you wait a few months. And you weren't super excited about it because you heard some bad press. Maybe you just saw one bad thing. Honestly, one bad thing could do it for you. Mm-hmm. And you're comparing that to the idea of a $1 Redbox red rental. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a lot of wasted money if, if you're not that into it. Yeah. Whereas like, if all you had heard was this is going to be amazing and all the press was behind you and all the critics were behind you, yeah, you might actually take the family out. And yep. Maybe you had the same experience with Redbox at home that you did in the theater. We don't know. We just know that for you, it wasn't worth an extra hundred dollars. Yeah, it matters. The critic part matters, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter as far as like the ultimate amount of money they make. As long as it's still profitable. I think it matters as far as the ultimate amount of money they make. Cause that all ties in like a family not going out and spending a hundred dollars versus someone going to a red box. That's a problem. It is, but it's a problem the industry's dealing with in general. So there's that to consider. Sure. And also, if each movie is still making, you know, $100 million or so, I'm sure there's an equation they're looking at. I'm I'm literally sure it's an equation that people are bringing to them and saying, hey, this is what our numbers are saying. You made this amount of money in this, you know, in this formula, in this environment. That's a guaranteed amount of money. Maybe you don't mess with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it gets below a certain point where you go, hey, you should make some changes. Like, the money's still there, but you're not making enough to, to guarantee next time you do it, you make that money. You know? Right. So uh, you mentioned it a minute ago. Uh, James Wan has announced that the uh, Aquaman trailer will debut at San Diego Comic Con, and when he when he 
put up the announcement. He put up this very bright blue picture with uh, with the Aquaman symbol on it and everything. And uh, Twitter user J.A. Huggins93 reacted to the logo saying, You can tell they got a direct order to make everything, quote, less dark. This logo is the opposite of all previous DCU posters. And uh, Juan responded to him and said, yes, from me. That's hilarious. And some part of me wishes, because I, I think it would be true in general, that the poster was just full black with like a tiny light somewhere in the background. It's <laughs> like, I mean, barely visible. Just just barely. No no shapes discernible whatsoever. Yeah. And then somebody was like, what the hell is going on? And you're like, this is what underwater looks like. <laughs> right. The sun can't reach me. What do you want? <laughs> right. All right. So, uh... AW put out another picture this week of uh, what is being described as, quote, an ancient meeting place called the Council of the Kings that's fallen into ruin. Um, it's not in Atlantis. We still haven't even seen that yet. It wasn't in Justice League. It's on the outskirts. So, uh, and I'm just going to read this as they put it, uh, because the, when explaining this picture, I mean, we've, we've got like seven giant statues holding up their like tridents, you know, and uh, so it says, one, when Atlantis sank into the ocean, it split into seven kingdoms. Each statue you see in the distance represents one of the original kings. The Atlantean army on the right side of the photo with white sharks, uh, those are the Atlantean army riding the sharks. King Nereus of the kingdom of uh, Zebel and his men ride giant sea dragons, the giant seahorses we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, James Wan wanted to create the fearsome creatures, Saffron notes, uh, as a way of subverting the comic image of uh, Aquaman riding a seahorse. In the center right, you can see Orm. I love that. You can see Orm on top of a massive alligator-like Tylosaur, <laughs> and behind him, Volko, Willem Dafoe, is on a uh, giant black hammerhead shark. I, I don't, like, I don't know what to think of this. Like, I'm looking at it, and it looks awesome. But it's so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like, like, I think it's ridiculous the in a good premise, way. <laughs> yeah, the premise of this is an underwater kingdom. I know. It's just it's one of those, like, I don't know. I got a little bit of the feeling of the Aquaman in um, Batman the Brave and the Bold feeling. Like, Oh, for sure. Where I was yeah, just, you should. Like, my rational mind wanted to uh, issue it immediately. Mm-hmm. But I was giggling like a little little boy who just heard his first fart. You know, like <laughs> I was. Just... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, I kind of hope that's the kind of fun that we have with Aquaman. Like I, I just want to see some weird shit. There is gonna be I, a, a like serious. I feel like there's a moment though where I'm, I'm going. It's I don't think they're gonna have fun with that scene. I think that's gonna be a scene where. I think to myself, is that man seriously riding a shark in a battle? Mm-hmm. Oh, god damn, yes, that man is seriously riding a shark in a battle. Well, to me, that's fun. Like, that man... <laughs> I'm, not, like, I'm not talking about, like, Guardians of the Galaxy tongue-in-cheek kind of fun. I'm like, this is this is ridiculous and amazing. Oh, no, I don't want that dialogue. That's going to be my in- insider dialogue. That's going to be what happens in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, so... It, I expect to be amazed, honestly, by that scene. Mm-hmm. I just have a feeling it looks good, man. It looks good, and it's—I love that they're going to take that chance because yes, it could be ridiculous. Oh yeah, I don't mind ridiculous though. Like I really don't. I—I <sighs> I mean, I put just it this don't. way: there's no way he doesn't know the phrase "jump the shark," and he's doing that. Mm-hmm. That takes balls. <laughs> 
Uh, so Patrick Wilson and uh, James Wan have revealed a little bit about uh, Orm and Orm's motives. Wilson says he's kind of an echo warrior. He's got a very clear gripe with the surface world, which has been polluting his oceans for centuries. And that's something for me. I'm sure for you too. It's very easy to understand. If somebody was just constantly polluting our air and ruining how we lived. And then uh, James Wan says King Orm has had enough of our surface world shit, pollution and disrespect for the planet. So I'm I'm starting to get like a very uh, Star Trek for the voyage home feel off of this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like let's save the whales. <laughs> I, don't don't go that far with it. Save the whale, I, I like save that the future. He made it, <laughs> I like that he made it way more of a um, more of a property situation. Like imagine you had a neighbor, and every fucking morning you sat there drinking a cup of coffee and watched him take his dog out, mm-hmm. let the dog shit, and take the little scooper and just toss it into your yard casually and walk back inside. I mean, I've I've done I've dealt with that. I've seen they just walk the yard right uh, the dog right into our yard and, and shit right in it. You know what I mean? Like, and then walk in like no big deal. Yeah, like absolutely that could be infuriating after a while. You know, I get it. What's infuriating it. is like we have like a sloped front yard. I absolutely know exactly what what they're talking about here. Like every time I go outside, there's more trash in our front yard because people drive by and they're just like, oh look, that yard slopes down. You won't see it from the road, and they just toss their shit into our yard. It's super yeah. annoying. Yeah. You have a heavy slant, too. It's like, by the time it's in my rear view, I won't even know I've made a poor mm-hmm. life decision. Because I'm a goldfish. I can forget I'm a shitty person by the time I make it 45 feet. <laughs> and uh, Amber Heard gave us some insight into Mira. She says, Justice League highlighted her militaristic side in Aquaman. We have a fuller picture, not just uh, of her as Mira of Atlantis, but also... Uh, See, we see her struggle in the surface world in civilian clothes. One of my favorite scenes is her first time on the surface world, and she's forced to dress as a normal human. We wanted to honor the comic books. I wanted to stick with how she's depicted in the books in a superficial way. I wanted to go full comic book as to how she looks, but it's in the nuance of her personality where I wanted to push the boundaries. Um, She has a natural antagonistic view of the surface world, which you can understand if you look at the conditions of the oceans today, how somebody living in the ocean would feel that way. Uh, we had time to fully flesh out her character. Jason becomes more Atlantean, more super, and mine becomes more human. She also uh, says that if you dig that, she says, I'm allergic to being the damsel, the two-dimensional archetype of what women are often limited to in the industry, especially in the superhero world. Uh, Zach got me at Warrior Queen. He said, you get a sword and crown. And I'm like, okay. So that was a Zack Snyder thing. That was Zack mm. Snyder pushing uh, for her to be a very empowered type of female in, in the movie. He's the one that sold it. Makes sense. Yeah, I buy it. Yeah. Now, uh, over to Shazam, Kelvin Chavez, the editor-in-chief of the Splash Report. This is the guy that uh, founded the Latino Review, tweeted out, just got word that the Shazam trailer will make us debut at this year's SDCC. That is rumor. That is not confirmed. And I doubt that it would be like a full trailer, even though the, the, it's fully produced. It's you know I don't know if they're going to go back for reshoots just yet, or if they I can't remember if they already have. I'm terrible at I am a goldfish, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it would just be a teaser if it does show up at SDCC. And I can't imagine that it won't to some degree. Like I think they probably will at least at the very least have a panel. But I imagine if there is a trailer, it's going to be a teaser trailer, not like a full you know. 225 to 248 or whatever it is. I'd be 50-50. Yeah? 
well, no, I'm 75-25. 75% teaser would make a lot of sense. 25% um, maybe a full trailer. Mm-hmm. And then let's subtract, I don't know, 5% off each of those. And let me just say 10% that I just thought of. I did just say I think they're keeping it on the DL. And maybe that's, maybe Sam's being iced for a second too until they got everything mm-hmm. where they kind of want it. Yeah, I I think we get like, a, I think we get a teaser. Something like uh, the first BVS Still, teaser yeah. at SDC. Gun to my head, I'm saying teaser. Yeah. So there is a ton of Wonder Woman 1984 stuff out there. A lot of uh, a lot of footage. A lot of like you know people just grabbing shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna talk about it though. I will say. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm actively gonna plead uh, amateur people on set. Please stop. Yes, and you please know, stop. I we talked a little bit about it last week, and that's gonna be it. Like, I, unless something really like non-spoilery happens behind the scenes. And a was you know an official talks about it, comes out with it because of it, releases something. We're just gonna stop talking about it because it's just too much. There's there's already too much like stuff starting to pop up about you know uh, the the plot and, and and whatnot, and people are already starting to make rash and ridiculous judgments about the movie based on dubious predictions. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. But I will say they removed a background actor. It really actor. takes the fun out of it to fucking micromanage mm-hmm. a, like production from day six, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was like day Damn one man. and people were complaining about some stuff. Um, yeah. So anyway, a background actor was removed for taking photos. And they, <laughs> they've released like, uh, you know, like a memo saying like, hey, you know, keep your phone in your pocket, asshole. <laughs> yes. Um, now, uh, Gal Gadot. That's part of what bothers me about it, though, is there's no, there's no point other than you want to be the person who just had the insider information. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of star fucking to do it. Mm-hmm. I, if there's another explanation, please let me know. But that's all I can think of. It's just a little bit of star fucking that ends up being spoilers for the rest of us. And damn it, man. Mm-hmm. Right, calm it down. So Gal Gadot uh, posted an official Wonder Woman picture, and it is like her looking awesome as usual in front of a big wall of lights. It's sort of like a circular thing. It's it's the whiskey bar at the Watergate Hotel is what the background is. Gorgeous picture. Very well done. Yeah, it is. Um, It is the background on my phone. (laughs) It was a great picture. (laughs) Oh, man. So this is kind of, this is really fun. Uh, Jeff Johns has given us our first line. He gave, he gave us the first line of the Green Lantern Corps script. And uh, he says, thanks for all the crazy support today as I take on my dream gig. This was on Facebook. Um, I especially wanted to give a shout out to my colleagues and friends at DC. Our shared passion burns bright. I have waited a lifetime to write <laughs> this. Fade in on a green ring soaring through space. And uh, a couple of different places on the internet has pointed out that, you know, this is something we've seen a, a few times in Jeff John's work in the comics. And they said it's often, like, comicbook.com actually wrote, is often preceded by, quote, ring status, Green Lantern deceased, scan for replacement, sentient initiated. I, I, yeah, I, but ah. while that is true, mm-hmm. I do feel like he's... Um, Doing two things to us. One, dude's good at PR. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to um, fuel the, you know, we're, we're searching for the Green Lantern ourselves kind of meta theme, right? Mm-hmm. And two, 
maybe it is one of those stories he's kind of always wanted to tell. Oh, I know. It's definitely one that he's always wanted to tell. And they did just let him off the leash. And they, you know, yeah. I, if you're dubious because, oh, I've seen this before, just give him a minute. Oh, I'm not dubious. That's exciting to me. Oh, I'm not accusing you. I'm sure. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> quite sure you're in favor. <laughs> All right. So uh... <laughs> your only critique would be like, whoever finds it, can we not watch their dad die 17 times in the film? <laughs> Yep. So, uh, um, I don't, I don't know how many people would actually know this, but on the Man of Steel Blu-ray, there is a uh, a little special feature where uh, eventually it tells you Bertrand was named uh, uh, Bertrand. Beware Bertrand's Doomsday or something like that. You know, and Bertrand was the dude in the comics that uh, created Doomsday. So everybody's like, oh man, Do- uh, Doomsday's out there. Someone basically asked Snyder on Vero if that meant that uh, the real Doomsday was still out there since the Doomsday in BVS was created by Lex Luthor. And uh, Snyder says, yeah, he's still out there. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I feel like I have uh, probably rationalized that some other way in the past, mm-hmm. but that still actually really does make sense to me. Yeah. Like I'm, I literally, there's some part of me that feels like I'm contradicting myself right now, but still that's possible. Yeah. All right. So uh, we are at the end of movie news. And we're going to end it out with some sad news. Uh, you know, we, we just a few weeks ago, scant weeks ago when we were on break, we lost Margot Kidder. That was the lowest lane of uh, Superman 78. And now word has come down that Richard Allen Greenberg, the uh, the designer for the uh, the opening titles of Superman the movie, has, has passed away, apparently following a bout of appendicitis. He was 71 years old. And you have absolutely seen that this guy was a giant in the industry and you didn't even know it. Like you have absolutely seen a ton of his stuff. Most likely. Like, I don't mean you, Jason. I mean, just people, but you probably have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this dude, uh, worked on like the opening titles of alien and altered States, uh, the world, according to Garp, the untouchables, dirty dancing, death becomes her star Trek nemesis, edge of darkness, Bram Stoker's Dracula of 92, uh, Independence Day. Uh, he worked on Lethal Weapons, uh, the, the, all the Lethal Weapon movies, The Matrix, uh, dude, Xanadu. <laughs> like, they did visual effects for Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Lady Hawk, Family Business, Goodfellas, Devil's Advocate, Phantoms. Like, he directed a movie called Little Monsters with Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. Uh, he also directed an episode of, uh, HBO's Tales from the Crypt in 1990. So, um, Kind of a giant in the film industry, and uh, he is now yeah, gone. That's pretty impressive resume, yeah. All right, so we're going to end this news segment out, uh, the DC film news segment out. Uh, we're going to pop over to DC TV and uh, talk about some stuff over there. If you're not following us, go join the group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash DC on screen podcast, or call us 205-259-6331. We'll put you on the air. Just like we did with uh, a couple of distinguished gentlemen that we will have at the end of the TV news segment. For sure. Uh, first up, Gotham. Over the weekend, executive producer Danny Cannon popped over to Instagram and uh, revealed that the fifth season would be entering production on July 23rd. Sounds right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess look forward to assholes taking pictures behind the scenes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Now this is this is like this this next piece of news is I feel exciting and damning. 
Um, we did. Those uh, are fun. Yeah, I know. Lucifer, we did. It did get picked up for a fourth season on Netflix. I don't think we actually reported that last week. I think it happened right after uh, we recorded yes. for um, for last week. But Lucifer has been picked up for a fourth season on Netflix. Uh, it is a ten episode order. And, that made uh, me pretty happy. It does start filming soon. It's going to be August-ish, Joe Henderson says. Um, Ildi uh, Modrovich says, We were going to have two parts to it anyway, so we'll just tell a really strong, gnarly first part. So basically what they're saying here is that the fourth season is just going to be basically what they were they were planning out for the first half of the season. So that sounds to me like they're not changing how focused they are, but Henderson did chime in and he did say that the shortened order, quote, lets us concentrate the story and focus it, and that's what's really exciting about this. We have a really strong first half that is going now going to make for an amazing story. I hope that, like, roots out some of the procedural bullshit. And It has to. As, it just has to. As of the interview, they it doesn't sound like they had really talked to Netflix a whole lot about it. Um, they did say that the change in network won't necessarily mean a change in episode length, um, unless the episode calls for it, which is nice because that's really what you want. Like, uh, Modrovich says, we'll probably stick roughly to our 43 minutes. That's part of what we're going to talk about, uh, to ne- or talk to Netflix about. I think we might have a bit of room for flexibility. Hopefully you, you, you probably will. I've been watching Netflix a lot. They're pretty flexible on their runtime. Yeah. There's some freedom here. So if there's a scene we love and we don't want to cut it, we're hoping that now we won't have to, and we're not suddenly going to have hour and a half episodes but um here's the part that's pretty damning despite the halved episode order the showrunners do not plan to structure the show's netflix debut as his final season modrovich says there's always the potential for more didn't you learn your lesson yeah that's that's the part that devastated me that and it didn't sound like they had a great idea for the second half of what they wanted to do in this this story it <laughs> yeah. sounded like they said like we we're gonna we should have two parts and in the first part we should have this happen and this happened and this happened and then we'll uh, figure it out, right? We'll figure it out. It's mm-hmm. cool. And then it, it just sounds like they're going to use 10 episodes and do the first part. It it does literally sound like they did not learn a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And we're just... And to be fair, why should they? They were picked up. Right. They were saved. They were rewarded for their poor behavior. <laughs> I, so, um... I think even if you're not down, I will watch it and I will put up a review based on how I feel at some point. Oh, I'll watch it. All right, cool. I can't not watch it. Yeah, we've invested too much time. And... Oh, that's... Yeah, yeah. There's some entrapment happening here, for sure. Yeah, the the actual celestial... Committed the might ce- be another term. The celestial portion is pretty compelling, I'll say. Yeah, if it was that, like the last episode uh, by itself, if like if it... Oh God! If that last episode had another ten minutes worth of wrapping things up, even I could have mm-hmm. dealt with it. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, so there, there was a lot to explore, but damn it, man! Over it just to doesn't sound like they've got their head around what I wanted them to do. It 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 kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't. I, I don't know. Oh, and by the way, those crossed. those ten episodes don't count the uh, two episodes that were supposed to air in season four that Fox aired. So I don't, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Uh, yeah, it's just out there. I don't somewhere. know if they'll like stick them in, you know, the fourth season where they roughly think they should have gone or what. They could also just kind of throw them up front because they own them and who cares? Mm-hmm. 
just here's a couple teaser episodes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if you're Netflix, you're thinking, hey, let's try to rebrand this. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's some hardcore. I'd like to be in the room before I even made a guess kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so CW has released their fall premiere schedule. And uh, so we've got premiere dates for all of our DC-related shows. Tuesday, October 9th is going to be uh, the... I guess seven, eight central or yeah, seven, seven central, eight Eastern, mm-hmm. <laughs> the flash, uh, nine to 10 is going to be black lightning season premiere. Then uh, Sunday, October 14th, uh, the eight to nine slot is going to be Supergirl season premiere. Monday, October 15th is the, uh, from the, in the eight to nine slot is going to be arrow season premiere. And then Monday, October 22nd is going to be a new episode of arrow at, from eight to nine. And then from nine to 10 DC's legends of tomorrow season premiere. So, yeah. uh, we're, we're looking at, uh, mid to late October for all the premieres. Yeah. What we're saying really is, uh, you've got a couple months to kind of relax, mm-hmm. take a deep breath, you know, Figure out some form of meditation or yoga that works for you, and then it's going to get active. Mm-hmm. It's going to get active. Because, I mean, DC streaming is going to come around. Like, oof. Yeah. Don't know when this all going down. Just go ahead and plan your retirement <laughs> for, like, early August. Yep. So over on The Flash, uh, The Flash has promoted Jessica Parker Kennedy to a series regular for the next season. That's uh, Nora, the uh, West Allen daughter. And mm-hmm. uh, The Flash has promoted Hartley Sawyer, that's Ralph, to series regular in season five. Go with both. Yep. Thumbs up. Over on Arrow, uh, St- Stephen Amell wa- did an interview, and I don't think I even wrote down where, some, was it Music Australia? Was that something? I don't know. Is that, <laughs> is that right? Anyway, he did a, uh, an interview. I, I wish I had more details. Yeah, I, I no. did read the thing. but I, I did too. Music. Anyway, said some interesting things. Uh I have uh, thinned it out so as not to uh, speak from just Stephen Amell's personal uh, viewpoint on things. Is he has, he said a whole bunch of stuff about uh, how he feels like certain characters that they created on Arrow was integral to the canon and stuff, and it is and it isn't. It's it's all subjective. It's really hard to get in, to dig in and say like, oh, you can never have. And he kind of was. He was saying, oh, you can't have a Green Arrow movie without having Felicity Smoke. You absolutely certainly can. <laughs> you can do that, dude. You for real can. I mean, you could reboot the series and not do it. I but I get what he's saying, and I, it's it's Stephen Amell, man. Yeah, but he's he's, he's a puppy. He's it's, it's he's got that kind of energy, and we always loved it. Like I love that he thinks that, and I love that he believes it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily true, but no. I can't prove him wrong either. But I also believe that a lot of the characters they've created, or or you know reinvigorated, as he put it, also uh, are integral to the mythos. In as much as they have those characters, and love for those characters have really sustained, and in a lot of in a lot of ways. Uh, been the catalyst for people in the mainstream to know who green arrow is and, uh, it's kept that IP alive, uh, you know, and say what you will about any iteration of any of these characters, but whatever's out right now, that's you know, garnering fans, that's keeping the IP alive. So, uh, you know, everybody get off his dick, man. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, it easily <laughs> could be true. Yeah easily could be true like in the universe right now where they're writing it in justice league mm-hmm. green arrows seriously got the potential to destroy the entire justice league mm-hmm. that's what's in the comics right now as of this moment yeah 
So anyway, uh, he does talk about season seven. He says, we have a new showrunner this year, Beth Schwartz, who's been with the show since season one. The writers have a very clear vision of what they want season seven to be and what I asked them to do, and it's not up to me, but what I asked of them is to not just assume that we have an eighth season. I wanted them to write like, if you have a good idea and you have something you've always wanted to do or see on the show, then just do it. Do it right now. He says, I think that's one of the things I'm getting out of what they've, they've planned for season seven. We're not writing like we're guaranteed something beyond this because we're not. Nobody is. I want them to really push forward and take the fact that we have a certain license and a certain respect from the fans to take some chances. <clears throat> now, he also, um, he also talked about uh, getting negative responses from the show's fan base and how he welcomes that. Uh, he says, to, to a degree, he says, obviously you want to lean into things that you think fans would want, right? Concurrently, I'm all for the things that make fans mad because mad is no different than happy. The only thing hmm. that I don't want is indifference. I always joke with fans about my alter ego, evil story, Steve. If you were to tell me, you know, that four people died in the season premiere of Arrow in season seven, I'd be very sad. But my alter ego, evil Steve, would be like, oh, that's very exciting. Why did that happen? So I think that making fans happy clearly is what you want to do when you're on a show in general, because you want people to keep watching, as long as you're not afraid to lean into things that may make them go, but why would you do that? I hate that. That's awful. Because that's not actually what they mean. If someone screams out on Twitter, I'm going to stop watching the show, they probably, they're probably not going to stop watching the show. You know what I mean? I think that is true and I false. I do know what he means. <laughs> I do too. But, the, but you know, I, again, in my own personal life, like I know people are like, ah, they killed this character off. That was bullshit. I'm not watching it anymore. And they're just serious. Oh, like for sure, people yeah, just like, get mad and drop shit. I, to the extent that you can kind of do anything and lose people, sure, mm -hmm. absolutely. But in the sense that he's talking about, you have to keep stirring the fucking beehive. Absolutely. Like no I, matter I what, it. and you're gonna keep the, losing like, viewers. The more and more I read that interview, the same one you did, I, mm -hmm. I kept thinking, why is he not like an executive producer why is he on the not show? An AP on the show, like <laughs> yeah. he's got it. He gets it. You need to piss us off a little bit. You need to kill some people every now. And then. Like, there have to be stakes. Mm -hmm. like, it needs to be rewarding in a certain way. I, he gets it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He also says, I think that you will see some very, very new and exciting characters in season season seven. Characters that have a canon in DC. Excuse me. And that's exciting. I am just still hoping for Ted Cord. Oh, you As should. always. Because that's what they've told us is going to happen for the better part of a decade now. Yeah. And by the way, Amel posted a picture of himself on Twitter, and he was wearing a Smoke Technologies t-shirt, like the same logo from Legends of Tomorrow when they went to the future. Sure. And sure. like, yeah. And on the, on the Twitter post, it's just like a little emoji of a dude shrugging. And I'm like, oh, oh, he didn't put up this for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah also i love i love that he's telling people man whatever you've got in your back pocket throw it mm -hmm. throw it out right now like just just throw it against the wall let's do this thing mm -hmm. I'm and i do kind of believe because like that's that's the personality that I, I feel like i don't know i mean we don't it's not like we know him we just know his social media presence and and that's it but i do feel like he is like walking into the office going hey you know we should do this right i do feel like he's actually talking to people yeah and he's right. Like, do it, man. We we don't know. Your numbers are declining every year. It's happening. Yeah, now it that's that's as a matter of course. It's not. Yeah. They're not declining at a rate that is. It's it's not precipitous. It it doesn't mean people are just like bailing mm -hmm. in truckfuls. It's just that every every year your show's on the air, you will lose people. It's yeah. Seinfeld is not work. the norm. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> there are exceptions to this, but generally every year you're there, less people are there. That's how it works. And I, I like that he's trying to push them to kind of like close it up. If we get another season, we'll deal with it then, but let's mm. do this. Fantastic. Like, I don't know how many people, how many people who listen to our show have watched Lost, but like, I was pretty on board that from maybe like, like I caught up to, I think, start watching season two. Mm-hmm. And about midway through that first season, they introduced the idea that there's a hatch somewhere on the island. They don't know what it goes to. I knew people in my own, in my own life who were like, ah, oh, I started watching that shit when they brought up that hatch. I'm like, ah, this is bullshit. Like just something as small as hey, there might you're on an island of mystery. Oh hey, look, there's a hatch. No, I'm out. <laughs> Why would you be in in the first place? <laughs> oh, I love this mysterious island. Oh, I don't like that mystery at all. I don't care about what's in the hatch. I'm I'm gone. And like as I like looked around, I guess I was like obsessed with Lost when it was on. And as I looked around on the internet, like so many people were like, is this show still on? I, I was out with that stupid hatch. And I'm like, are you serious? Why were so many against the hatch? It can happen with anything, man. Like you just like any, any little creative decision on any show, you hemorrhage viewers. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Every, <laughs> every single, like that's, I love that when like uh, there's an actor doing things, they call it making choices. Mm-hmm. That's what ultimately happens. Every single thing you do from filming to all the decisions in between to everyone that's appearing on screen to everyone that edits it later. Mm -hmm. Choices. Yeah. Every choice you make, and as a human, we all know this, every choice you make, you maybe lost somebody. Yeah. I mean, episode one, season two of Lost, when they found that it opens with what is inside the hatch. It's all like when I saw that shit, I heard, I could almost hear the TVs just turning off. <laughs> it excited the shit out of me. I was like, oh, that's weird. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You can hear people throwing their Nilsson boxes against the wall. I get it. <laughs> just right. pissing on the wreckage. I, I get it. So that hashtag show to bring them up again. Mm-hmm. have recently uh, put out those some... dubious people. Those dubious people. <laughs> they have uh, they've put out a couple of different character descriptions for uh, the upcoming season of Legends of Tomorrow. The first is for a female Asian character in her 20s named Allie, who would be joining in a series regular role. Mm-hmm. The description is as such, she is somewhere in her 20s as a young woman who is searching deeply for her mission in life. The casting uh, description also goes on to say, teased as a mega intelligent and sharp as heck person, Allie tends to sometimes be a little aloof and being too distracted by her own imagination as well as romantic impulses. She loves young adult literature as well as fantasy novels, hence her hunger and curiosity for adventures. Hence, it sounds like she's going to be a big friend of uh of of ray and uh nate despite mm. her disappointment with the state of the world ali continues to keep an optimistic head as much as possible with any situation that she faces ali also has a deep love for animals as she believes each animal has a purpose to fulfill on our planet uh we don't know if ali is a cover name um i can't think of anyone from dc that uh fits any of that but no i mean there's there's a do an animal man variation but i, I guess you could uh, I guess they could. Uh, there's a second casting here for a uh, for Hank Haywood. Looks like uh, Nate's father. 
as a recurring role. He is somewhere in his 60s, and while he is loved by many, his son Nate is not one of them. Their relationship is a very mixed one, as Hank is always on the son's back for not doing more with his life. Having served in the military, Hank is now working for the Department of Defense, carrying a Woody Harrelson-y charm. Hank takes traditional values very, very seriously, such as patriotism and sacrifice, but he isn't big about his beliefs, and while Nate may have had his list of failures in life, Hank loves his son as much as a father possibly could. <clears throat> ah, the I'll never live up to him, but I can't quite hate him complex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nothing about gotcha. that makes me more interested in Legends of Tomorrow. No, I'm pretty bored with that one. <laughs> but could be portrayed well. Who knows? Could be. I, I can't wait to see if this is true, and I'll and if it is, I want to see what they believe is a Woody Harrelson-y type of person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm more excited about what I can only might can only surmise as maybe animal woman before. Mm-hmm. So far I'm more excited about that. Whoever the hell that is. Mm. So uh hashtag It's a mystery there at least. Oh sorry. Uh <laughs> yeah. Omega Underground is saying that uh, the Swamp Thing live-action series uh, could start in the fall uh, production in the fall of this year. And they're saying that the, the filming will take place in North Carolina. And it seems a little odd, but, you know, the Hunker Games was shot there, so I can see it. No, there's some good greenery. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that makes sense. And hashtag show uh, those dubious people have uncovered a pair of casting descriptions for Swamp Thing. Uh, one calls for a late 40s to late 50s actor, quote, in the mold of Lawrence Fishburne or Jeff Goldblum to play a, quote, smart, slick, and cunning villain. That sounds like Anton Arcane to me, uh, who tried to, she's, Ab, he's Abby Arcane's uh, uncle and uh, scientist and magician who tried to cure uh, Swamp Thing or Alec Holland, can't even talk, Alec Holland, but I still sounded weird. But winds up using the swamp powers for himself for evil uh, for evil reasons. Uh, some people are saying that it could be General Avery Carlton Sutherland, who would be the president and CEO of the company that Abby works for. And uh, there's another casting here for uh, a character in his mid-30s who is the sheriff of the town and former high school sweetheart of, of Abby. That would be Matthew Cable. And uh, he's described as a good guy with anger issues. So... Um, it should be noted, though, that he does, in the comics, he gets killed, resurrected, given powers, and then he crosses paths with the Doom Patrol, which is another property they're developing over there. Oh, that could be fun. Yep. Uh, over to Animated. The Death of Superman movie leaked, and all I ask, really, is... I've already seen a ton of spoilers. Like, you know... It's not out yet. Stop. <laughs> all right, so over to voicemails. Uh... We have uh, we have a voicemail from uh, Travis Hines, and we're going to play that right now. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Travis Hines, Travis underscore 156, occasional guest podcaster on the DC Daily Drop, calling in. I've uh, been listening to you guys regularly, and i got to say, the last few episodes have been spectacular. Uh, I want to touch on three things. Uh, first, the hate for Jeff Johns. I'm completely in agreement with you, David that this is completely unnecessary. I don't understand where it's coming from. You see Zack Snyder speaking when he was on BBS about how much he enjoyed having Jeff Johns working with him and the, the knowledge that Johns had. He was like his own DC encyclopedia. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you and Nathan, but I'll hold off on the amount of cussing 
that Nathan did. <laughs> I think he filled up the volume in that. Uh, so yeah, Dave, uh, I agree 100% with your take on that. You hit the nail right on the head, and I think people have to calm down and maybe look at uh, the big exec who would have been granted a bonus if the movie came out when it did, and I hope his head is the next to fall. Um, the second point uh, from your air review, I know you guys didn't say it, but I see it a lot uh, lately, that Albert Queen had his Tony Stark moment from Iron Man 1, which I totally do not agree with. Uh, sure, there are some similarities, but Tony relatively walked away unscathed and free for, and had no consequences for his actions until Civil War, like, geez, like 12, 16 movies in. So, yeah, I don't think Oliver told people he was the Green Arrow and went directly to a supermax prison uh, that houses metahumans and the worst of the worst criminals. One guy just walked away and went to his mansion. So, yeah, I don't think they're similar at all. And I must say that the season finale of Arrow was the most enjoyable out of the four so far. Supergirl is coming up on Monday, but uh, I must say I thought Arrow's finale was the best. I don't know if that excuses it from the first half of the season and all the mismanagement and not good writing. Uh, and the third comment is, I'm just wondering if every, does every episode end with Jordan's fat cat updates? <laughs> I'm glad he's enjoying it. I'm just a little worried because if this wedding doesn't go off without a hitch, I think someone's going to have to check on him and make sure he's still going to read DC and he's still full-blown DC. <laughs> uh, those are the three things. I just want to thank you guys for having a great podcast and uh, hope to call in again soon. Keep up the solid work, boys. All right, Travis, dude, thank you for calling in, man. First off, Jeff Johns. Now, you said you didn't know where that was coming from. There are some people, I think it was a cameraman. Uh, I, I believe it was a cameraman who worked on Justice League. And um, he was, he's was he been spreading a lot of crap about Johns on Twitter. And um, honestly, I, I don't, I, I think a lot of it is just misdirected anger about what happened with Justice League. And um, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I know Zach said a lot of good stuff about Jeff Johns during BBS, but that could also be him towing the line. Because, like, you, you got to know they sign like NDAs and stuff, so like they can't just be like talking shit about their the higher ups, you know. Um, I hope it's not that. I I uh, I really do hope Jeff Johns is a decent person. For all I know, he could be a raging dick, <laughs> but um, I hope that's not the case. Uh, he certainly uh, I certainly don't doubt the man's talent and skill at this juncture. It's just if if that's what's happening, that he is just a raging dick. This is just the first time we've heard about it in his entire career. Mm-hmm. And while that is entirely possible, <clears throat> yeah. It we need a little more evidence. Yeah. You know? I mean, in some years I imagine we'll start getting fuller stories. And even if like possible. as much as I like Zack Snyder, even if he were to say like to come out at some point and say like, Yeah, well he really screwed me over I'm not even a hundred percent sure that's evidence enough. Because, you know, Zack Snyder is a dude with emotions who was heavily emotionally invested in a project that got taken away from him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I don't it's, know. It's, that's a, it's a rough one to adjudicate from our angle. Yeah. You know? Whoa. <laughs> I almost knocked the whole thing down on top of myself. All right. So, uh, yeah. to your second point with Ollie and Tony, clearly things, you know, were big, uh, were very different, uh, between Ollie and Tony's like revealing of their secret identities. Uh, Clearly, things went south for Ollie in a way it never did for Tony. 
but it is funny that you mentioned the Supermax because, like, that was something I noticed uh, on, the, on my second watch of the finale. And uh, I accidentally watched it again. <laughs> my wife was catching up and she watched it and I sat down like two episodes, two episodes before and kind of watched it all. But, um, you unwittingly watched it again. Yeah. And I noticed that, uh, Ollie said he was being taken to the Supermax, and, uh, that was, uh, green arrow escape from Supermax was a story that, uh, David Gorier, uh, was trying to make into a movie. Uh, where like it's Green Arrow for like the first ten minutes, and then like he's arrested, and his secret identity identity is revealed, and then he's in a supermax prison, and he's trying to it's like Alcatraz, Goyer said, and he has to uh, team up with in some cases some of the very same villains he's responsible for incarcerating in order to get out and clear his name, and of course there's tons of people trying to kill him while he's in there, and uh, Goyer said we've populated the prison with all sorts of B and C villains from the DC universe. For the fans, there will be a lot. Uh, there will be all sorts of characters that the hardcore comic book junkies will know, and they're all going to be there uh, under their human names, and no one is wearing a costume. But there will be a lot of characters with powers and things like that. And uh, to me, that sounds uh, like a very possible direction for the first like two or three episodes of the season. Oh, for sure, it's one of the times where I've really been behind like a a Gorier idea mm-hmm. that sounded good. It sounded fun. Yeah. Um, as for Jordan Valdez, <laughs> well, I, to answer your question about whether or not he's going to call in about Batcat every week, here he is with a new voicemail. For sure, Jordan Valdez of the Multiverse Musics podcast. Everyone, hey there, Dave and Jason. This is Bat Jordan Valdez calling in once again. Uh, first off, I just wanted to say, Jason, I was so glad to hear that you loved Batman number 48 as much as I did and, and, all, and all of what uh, Tom King is doing with the Joker. Because, um, yeah, that was phenomenal. And I'm glad you got David to check it out. And uh, hopefully, David, I hope that means that uh, this will just convince you even more. you got to check out the rest of this run because it has been, like I said, outstanding. We're one issue away from the wedding now. And I just I'm, – I'm going through just – seeing all these beautiful, beautiful Batcat variant covers that are coming out for issue number 50. And I'm just I'm just in that euphoria right now and so excited for July 4th when issue number 50 drops. But the other thing I wanted to touch on uh, on this voicemail was you guys were speculating about perhaps us seeing David Kane on one of the DC TV shows soon. Um, I actually do think that's going to happen, but not quite in the way that you guys were speculating about, and certainly not on the show that you guys are speculating about. Yeah, I know you guys were talking about maybe he'll show up uh, on the DC Universe streaming service, um, but here's where I actually think he's going to show up, is on Gotham, because uh, obviously we saw Mother and Orphan uh, in that No Man's Land tease at the end of No Man's Land, the uh, the season four finale, um, and we saw Mother and Orphan there. And at first I thought that was going to be Cassandra Kane, and they were just changing things up. I mean, age discrepancies from what they are in the comics are nothing new, so I thought we were going to see Cassandra. But then um, my buddy Joshua Laffin-Bertoni from the Batman universe alerted me to the fact that it's not going to be Cassandra, and that they've actually got a little boy. Uh, well, we couldn't see him because he had the you know mask on and it was really dark. But, yeah, it was a little boy that they had cast playing him in that scene, I think it's going to be David Kane, Cassandra's father, um, because when they brought back uh, Cassandra in the New 52 towards the end 
um, in the Batman and Robin Eternal Maxi series, which I thought was really, really good. Such a great story about the Robin. But anyway, when they brought her back in that story, um, and David Kane was heavily involved as well, he was the first orphan. And so he was going by orphan before Cassandra wound up uh, adopting that title, which she's been using since. Um, but yeah, so I think, and it actually makes more sense in terms of his age in, uh, you know, as it pertains to, you know, as it relates to Bruce Wayne's age on the show, you know, it actually makes a lot more sense that it would be uh, David Kane, um, yeah, that we're seeing there. So I think we're going to see da- a young David Kane on Gotham next season. So I just thought I'd throw out that speculation. And, uh, yeah, uh, Batcat forever from the first kiss to the last. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Jordan, buddy, thank you for calling in. <laughs> we do hope you're going to be okay if something happens to Selena, like for real. But um, <laughs> And I, I do worry about it. I'm a little worried. Being up to date. Yeah. So, I don't know what that like means. 49 was an entirely... It, it's a whole new level of Joker storytelling. Mm. Well, I you know, I, I am on the fence about whether or not I think I will like it, but I will get to it at some point. I will absolutely read the, the storyline for sure. Um, too much has been made of it. I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, the David Kane on Gotham thing is a really cool theory. Yeah. And I think I would be more down for it if we had more seasons of Gotham. But if we're talking about 10 to 13 episodes, probably 10 based on what we've heard, I kind of just want them to focus on wrapping it the hell up. Need you to wrap it up. Exactly. just want them to focus on the characters they have a lot of strands hanging out there for. That being said, they did show us these little, you know, stingerish things. Mm -hmm. And, well, they got to wrap that up too now. So They don't have to. Deal with that. Oh, they do. (laughs) They do. (laughs) Maybe they will. Uh. They do. Okay. It's it's on there, and you know you have your finale, like, you know where you end. Make mm. it happen. Fingers crossed. Um, I'm sure there'll be a couple of loose strings. I but. do think, th- yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some loose strings, but I do think the David Kane story, especially if you're going back to David as an orphan, is a little too deep to really flesh out the way you'd want to see it done. You know what I mean? For the amount of time they have yeah. left. Yeah. But that's just me. I'm... Persnickety, and God knows it's never stopped Gotham from just doing whatever the hell they wanted and chopping up storylines and making some weird shit happen. But, you know, it's, it's weird because David Kane is one of those, like, lower-tier villains, like, absolute badass, absolute, like, really cool villain, but just doesn't have that mainstream, of, uh, I don't know if I would say appeal, but mainstream uh, notoriety. Where you could say, see, and that's how David Kane started. And they're like, who? Like, <laughs> Well, that's the thing I like about this theory is it fits Gotham really well. Mm-hmm. Except for the event that we only have a few episodes mm-hmm. left. Otherwise, completely agree. This would be a wonderful opportunity to explore him yeah. for like a couple seasons. I mean, me, I... Like, I kind of wish they'd done him instead of, uh, what's his name? Oh, God, I can't remember. Uh, the guy who played, uh, dear God, what am I missing? Ezreal. Oh. <laughs> uh, Galavan. Galavan. Thank you. <laughs> like, for the for the character arc, that would have made sense, too, for David Kane, but... Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. You don't want to know what Good I was Lord, thinking. It's been a minute. What were you thinking? He's had a stroke. <laughs> Do I need to drive over there? It, it, it crossed my mind. You're like, sure. the guy who played, dear God. And I went, uh, George Burns? 
I was trying to think of the movie he did the other day, and yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's good. <sighs> anyway, uh, all right. So I guess uh, this that's got to wrap it up. I think. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Oh, one thing. What's up, man? Jordan. Yeah. You got to be freaking out a little bit, buddy. Right? Call in. That's all I'm saying. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know how you feel about the freak out, and. Uh, if you'd like to come join our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash DC on screen podcast. Call us like Jordan, like Travis, voicemail 205-259-6331, and we'll get to you, throw you on the air, respond in kind as we have to these fine gentlemen who've graced us with our, with their, with our presence, with their presence uh, on today's episode. And uh, I would like to point out that we are quickly approaching uh, episode 500 of our show so if you would like to to leave us a uh, a voicemail for the uh, 500th episode to be played on on that we'll take those two and uh and hold them over for the 500th episode and uh i don't know that's it we'll be back next week see you later write us sweet things on twitter caress our bosom well sure mostly the itunes thing yeah, the iTunes things is, is the most important at this point. Way more important. Yeah. Go write us a review on iTunes if Fuck you like our us. bisms. You know how you you know you you listen to our voices. You can't see us. You can't touch us. The way you stroke our bosom. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. <laughs> Until next week. Keep some DC on your screen. Our opening narration was from Dan Jurgens' The History of the DC Universe, Part 3 of 10, as featured in DC 52, Week 4. It was performed by me, David C. Robertson. Intro music by Jason Goss and Michael Shackelford. Michael's band, Future Elevators, could be found on Spotify or future-elevators.com. Our introduction was performed by Effie Ophelders of the fantastic podcast Stealing the Remote, which lives on SoundCloud. It can also be found on iTunes and Stitcher. We are proudly in partnership with TV Time, TV show calendar and social media site that lets you keep track of what you're watching, what your friends are watching, and where you all left off. DC On Screen is a maladjusted production. Visit maladjusted.tv for more from me and Jason, including sketch comedy, an improvised web series, vlogs, parodies, and more. Are you maladjusted? At Jewelers Mutual, we're a little obsessed with jewelry. Obsessed like auctioneers with talking fast. 50, we're going to Pop stars with auto tune. And dentists with asking questions so, how did he propose? after they've put their hands in your mouth. Great. Yes, we've made jewelry our obsession for over 100 years. We love it so much, we named our kids Ruby, Amber, and Opal. Venti soy latte for Opal? At Jewelers Mutual, we insure jewelry and only jewelry, which is why people who are also obsessed with jewelry trust us with theirs.